Going Deep. I'm John Kingston. I'm your host. This is part of the Freightcast series from Freight Waves. You know, the name of the show is Drilling Deep. And one of the reasons that we named it that was we, we really do two things on this podcast. First of all, my background is in oil. So we drill deep into oil. Uh, and then also we generally drill deep with an, with a, an interview guest on any one of a number of subjects. So today we're going to dedicate the entire show to oil, but we're not just going to be all me. I think you probably all find that rather boring. I've got with me Zach Strickland, the, so, the Sultan of Sonar here at Freight Waves. Zach, welcome to Drilling Deep. Hello, John. Yeah, you sound like you've been beaten up by the markets. <laughs> yeah, right. oh man, it's been... It's been a wild ride over the last uh, couple of weeks. <laughs> it really has been. So, but, but the reason I want to have Zach on, first of all, I like him. And secondly, uh, Zach did some research several months ago that I just found fascinating. Um, I came, came, come out of an oil background. And the general assumption that I always had is that falling fuel costs can sometimes spur demand for uh, gasoline as people drive more because it's cheaper. Uh, I never really thought about the impact on trucking. And what Zach's research had showed is that there was a very, very tight correlation between the price of diesel and the price of trucking for rates. And this is an extremely important uh, extremely important thing to have found several months ago. Very, very relevant now. As you know, oil has plummeted. It's at the lowest it's been in really since 2016. Uh, On Monday, it had the biggest drop since 1991. There are all sorts of superlatives. Uh, I guess, can you call superlatives when a market's going down, Zach? I'm not sure, but uh, (laughs) superlatives in terms of the, the, the full scope of this decline. So um, I wanted to bring Zach on and let's talk about his research again and see what you think, Zach. Is this, uh, is this going to be a spur to even lower rates? I know that obviously there's some drivers out there who are probably celebrating the fact that they're going to be paying less at the pump, particularly if you're an independent owner operator and you don't have a fuel surcharge tool that you can use. But based on your research, they probably shouldn't be celebrating. Right, right. So, yeah, I, my, you know, it's something that I anecdotally experienced back in 2017 or 16 uh, when the economy sort of slowed down. We went through this industrial recession uh, and it coincided exactly with the drop in diesel prices or gas rates. Just I mean, we were all, uh, you know, getting blown apart by four dollar per gallon gas in Tennessee, which is very anomalous. And it was not great. Uh, you know, in uh, early 2006, or I should say 2015. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it's almost like overnight, the price of diesel and gas just plummeted uh, significantly. And that actually, even though as a carrier, you know, we have a fuel surcharge. So we pass along some of that fuel cost to, uh, you know, the, the customer, the consumer. And it's really just an offset because that is such a volatile commodity, as you as you well know. Uh, but really the un intended or un uh, i guess unforeseen consequence of the plummeting fuel prices was the price of crude and oil and its subsequent effect on domestic the domestic economy so freight volumes declined almost in sync uh, with the price of crude oil and a lot of that had to do with the weakness in the industrial economy and i think that's uh, more of a new like say in the last five to 10 year development, uh, because when diesel prices were volatile back in the uh, 2000s, it was not quite as uh, persistent. It didn't look as, it wasn't as clear. Uh, you know, carriers generally like it when gas goes down because that's a, you know, it's a pretty big cost uh, on their end. 
And also people would get out and drive more. You'd think consumers would have more money, uh, that the economy is going to do better, et cetera. Well, now that the United States is what, the number one producer <laughs> in, in crude oil, or it's, you know, and it wasn't back then in 2016, but it was becoming more, more so because of the whole, you know, conflict in the Middle East. They didn't want to be quite as dependent on that uh, speculation and fluctuation in the market. But um, yeah, it was fascinating. Uh, me and Mike Vincent actually had this debate one day in, in our office as we were wondering where did all of our freight go? And we, of course, hauled carpet, which is a petroleum-based product. <laughs> uh, so, of course, that's going to have that impact. But we, again, we were still thinking that has, you know, that shouldn't be everyone else. Maybe it's just us. We had no idea. Uh, so now that once I got into Freightways, I had access to all this information, all this data. And I looked back in 2016, and that's actually the moment that I was like, this, this is for real. <laughs> like, all this stuff that I was wondering about. I could see clearly in the in the numbers, and this was a totally disparate data source. You know, we looked at CAS information, uh, the shipments index, which is the thing that that article was, uh, you know, based on, was showing the shipment volume. Um, of course, CAS is a, uh, you know, they create an index based on freight invoices, about 50% of its truckload, the rest of its parcel, LTL, uh, and, and, and a few other, you know, some rail intermodal shipments, et cetera. And volumes dropped uh, pretty significantly in 2016. Uh, before recovering uh, in about mid to late 2017. Yeah, it's interesting just to, to give some of the numbers. Um, the U.S. production of crude bottomed out around 2008 at about 5 million barrels a day. Most recently, it's been running about 13 million barrels a day. Um, the production of natural gas, I can't rattle those numbers off the top of my head, but that's that's soared. The U.S. Import dependence, you know, you, you look at net import dependence, which is, you know, imports minus exports. And I think in August 2006 might have been the month. It might have been 2005. It peaked out at about 13 million barrels a day, net import dependence. And it's more recently been negative. So we're a net exporter. And I think what you're finding is that um, there's 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 a, a little bit of a, a dark cloud around. It, it, there's no no silver lining. I mean, the, the whole thing is good. It's been very good for America. But kind of the dark cloud is when the price of oil falls. It used to be just a un, uh, un, un, unalloyed positive for the U.S. And now it's not. And I right. think uh, that's probably what you found. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And that did not happen. Like I said, in 2008, uh, 2007, et cetera, like that wasn't as big of an issue. Like we loved it when gas went down in 2008 because, you know, it was the recession and everything was, was, you know, what it was. But, uh, you know, it never seemed to correlate up until the recent years. And I think, of course, as we become, like you said, more of a big, you know, producer of crude and uh, it, we're, our economy, you know, that's just like, you know, to me, it's kind of like tourism. Uh, you know, people are spending their foreign dollars on our products it comes into this country and it and it bounces around for a little while. It just helps our economy. Uh, so, you know, I've got a question for you in yeah. terms of in the light of the recent, you know, crude's been, you know, plummeting, et cetera. Um, you know, I guess my question to you is how does how does this happen? Like what what is driving this? I know we've got coronavirus going on and that's that's part of it. But what what is the functional, you know, what is the thing that made this happen functionally? Well, let's, let's, let's do the proverbial camel's back, okay? So first of all, uh, the oil market has changed radically uh, in the last uh, six years or so as the U.S. production continued to rise. Finally, it got to the point where kind of the dam broke and the price is up near $100 Brent 
$90 WTI just couldn't be sustained anymore. They went on a downward plunge down to about to early 2016 when they dropped down about $30 a barrel. And that really was all because of this technological revolution that was enabled the world to get at deposits of oil that just were simply not obtainable in the past. So, so we start with that. Okay. Right. Then we take OPEC and OPEC's role has always been, you know, for, for people of my age, Zach, because you know, I'm a lot older than you are, you know, <laughs> but for people of my age, we remember OPEC as the people who drove the price of oil higher in the 70s when a lot of us were young and we just bought our cars or got our first cars and now we can't drive around all day because it's too expensive. You know, we want to put our girlfriend in the front seat of the car and we can't do that anymore <laughs> because the price of gasoline is too high. So OPEC always had this sort of, you know, negative connotation and quite frankly, they you know, they, they sort of deserved it from a big consuming country. But in the last few years, I mean, if we're going to operate under the assumption that the U.S. economy benefits from this growth in oil uh, production, OPEC really was our friend because right. they were able, because they basically gave up massive amounts of market share and the U.S. was able to produce to fill that. And so we developed this great sector. OPEC took the hit. The price stayed at kind of a sweet spot where not too high, not too low. Well, you know what? As you came into 2020, again, another little straw on the camel's back, uh, output in a lot of places besides the U.S. was going to rise this year, number one. Demand growth was expected to be weak. So already you had too much oil and OPEC was going to have to make big cuts in 2020. They'd already made big cuts. They're going to have to make more. Then, of course, things start to slow down with with the coronavirus. Right. OPEC meets. They bring in Russia. Russia is not a member of OPEC, but has been cooperating with OPEC since 2016. And they just could not reach an agreement. And the view here is that both of them are not necessarily targeting each other, Saudi Arabia and Russia. Saudi Arabia, of course, really being the, the driving force behind OPEC. They're targeting the U.S. shale industry. And the view is that if the price gets down to $20, $30, $40, the U.S. shale industry, which has so weakened the price of oil long term, certainly weakened OPEC, certainly cut off uh, higher prices to Russia, that the shale industry will just collapse. Oh, wow. And, you know, the shale industry is kind of an interesting thing in that it's always been dependent upon a huge amount of debt financing. And I remember somebody describing it to me once, you know, they borrow a lot of money, they drill a lot of wells, they sell a lot of assets, they borrow some more money, they produce a lot of oil, you know, like the idea (laughs) is just not sustainable. And we're going to get a test of that coming up right now. I mean, but wasn't, so I guess for me, um, looking at that, doesn't that actually hurt Saudi Arabia in the long run? If our economy is that dependent on it, and then all of a sudden we're in a recession or some form of like economic, you know, failure? Well, I, I think I think that their view is that that shale is shale is the long term enemy to Saudi Arabia, and so yes, I think their view is that they're willing to take a hit for a short period of time to maybe stomp out this cockroach that has uh, made their life very difficult. I mean, l- let me tell you how how uh, how kind of bad it's been for OPEC. OPEC produced the the OPEC production in February, according to Platts, was the lowest level in. I can't forget how many years. It was the lowest level since the world oil market was 78 million barrels a day. The oil market market now is about 100 million barrels a day, which means that there was a growth of 22 million barrels a day in the world oil market, and OPEC got none of it. Wow. 
it all went somewhere else. So I think they're kind of fed up with this. You know, it's almost like, you know, when you were back in the, the seventh grade and, you know, you were the smartest kid in the class, as Zach, I'm sure you were. And they put together one of these little group projects and you did all the work and all these other three bums did nothing. Right. Not so, at all. <laughs> after a while, then you get sick of the bums. OK, yeah. so anyway, um, so that's kind of what's going on here. So, yeah, they're, I think they're ready to take a hit for a while if they, in fact, feel that they can uh, that they can stomp out the shale industry. Whether they can or not is, I think, open to question. The fact is those resources are there. The technology to get at them is there. And usually when you have that combination, if the price gets high enough, you'll go get that oil. Yeah. So you so let, I... let me ask you, let me come back to you. Okay. Uh, what have you seen this week in terms of rates and volumes and capacity in reaction to everything that's been going on? So it's actually a fascinating dynamic in the world economy um, and in domestic trucking specifically. It's 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 mind blowing as to what's happening. So it, it all logically adds up. So uh, we saw, you know, volumes, truckload volumes in the United States spike over the last four to five days. And <clears throat> this was not something that anybody really expected. I mean, you had, you know, people out there thinking that, okay, capacity is going to tighten because it's March and we're starting to warm up, et cetera, like it does seasonally. But it's not uh, jumping seasonally the way that it normally would. We're looking at volumes, uh, you know, looking at our indexes. The volumes are as high as they were in June of 2018 right now. Right, which, um, is, which is a historic month. Yes. No, it's basically the peak of the freight market uh, post-recession. And the, you know, this is, everybody's looking at China and they see China basically shuts down for a month uh, while they're getting over this disease. And, um, you know, they're worried about it spreading to the United States. And what if everybody's quarantined, et cetera? Well, what's happened was, is the U.S. reacts far differently. One, they can see this thing coming. So they had a lot of lead time looking at China, watching them, uh, you know, do their thing and try to figure it out. And then two, all the things that, make, uh, you know, America, America, we try to buy our way out of everything. So we can go and spend a bunch of money, you know, getting toilet paper, hand sanitizer, paper towels, all these things, food, etc. We'll go and try to stock up like we're doomsday prepping, uh, you know, for anything that shows up. I mean, it snows two inches in the South and it's like the zombie apocalypse is coming. So right. that's, that's just American culture in general. So we have this, what we're seeing is this, uh, kind of domestic panic and shippers are doing this in, you know, anticipation reaction. What's fascinating to me is that everywhere in the country, 75% of the markets or the geography in the country is showing this similar increase uh, of volumes. And what's that's, what that's doing is it's, of course, tightening the market. Um, what makes it a little different is the fact that it is not happening around a holiday period which is normally yeah. when you see these volumes really drive up and capacity actually comes offline because all these drivers are one trying to get uh, regionally positioned to stay, to go home, come off the road for a little while, go see their family, uh, do a little bit of, you know, home time traveling, et cetera. But we don't have that. So this actually, if, you know, I'm going to be a little optimistic for a second, <laughs> this actually couldn't have happened at a better time for transportation markets, if you're looking to um, kind of concern, if, if you're going to have the highest amount of inventory and the most driver availability, this is actually ideal because everybody's coming out of February, they're getting ramped up, ready for increasing volumes, increasing freight. But you're also having this period of where we're coming out of the trade war. Inventories are, ex they're full in the warehouses where, you know, we were at as high as like 89% capacity. 
uh, last year as a result of the trade war uh, from China. So there's a ton of inventory in these warehouses. We just had a huge amount of freight coming into the country as they were preparing for the Chinese New Year itself. So everything is kind of lining up to keep it actually way more stable than it could have been. And so the big question is, how long does it last? And we really don't know. This could be a very volatile ride. Now, I know that the volumes, of course, are coming off the o- o- the OTVI, uh, right? The outbound tender volume index. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fascinated by your figure about 89% in the warehouse. Is that a sonar data point? Uh, no, that's something that was uh, given to us. Uh, we have obviously lots of data partners out there and they were, uh, you know, they're one of the some of them are large, the largest warehouse providers in the United States, make what you will of that. And they were reporting last year that they were at uh, as high as 89% in terms of utilization in their warehouses. But so we, do have, we do have some data in Sonar uh, and the LMI, the Logistics Managers Index, that does indicate that we are seeing, uh, you know, we were seeing quite a bit of warehouse utilization. Inventory was reducing, but they were also expanding warehousing uh, in the United States during this period as well. So it's um, it is a fascinating thing to see because it, you have a lot of people trying to get warehousing close to the population centers so they can, you know, the Amazon effect, if you can use the cliche, uh, you know, so there's an increasing amount of warehousing. We're looking at inventory levels uh, being about as high and stable as they've been in recent history as well because of all this. Right. Now, so this is going to be interesting because this may be one of these times when the correlation that you found between diesel prices and, and truck rates breaks apart. Now, I'm not saying permanently, but you certainly have diesel prices plunging and you're talking about sort of record volumes of freight. It might be short term just in anticipation of getting ready for the coronavirus and everybody bringing Perel all over the place. But uh, can you imagine that where these, for, at least for now, these two things diverge? Absolutely. Uh, they're they're going to diverge. The, the oil market is uh, tends to be, it's like the backbone. Uh, the industrial economy is kind of the backbone of the freight market. So once the coronavirus and, you know, all these kind of events kind of iron out, if the oil markets are still what they are, I think that's where you really can see it in isolation. Uh, right now, there's so much noise uh, in, the, in the economy uh, revolving around the coronavirus and people spending money. You know, the consumer really clouds a lot of you know, what these other sectors of the economy are doing. And I think that's that's something that's, you know, the oil market in 2016, far different. The freight market was relatively stable at that period of time. So you could see it pretty cleanly at that point. Right. Now, it's going to be interesting. I'm sure the drivers who are hearing about these price collapses uh, are going to want to know when they're going to benefit from it, when they're going to see the price of the pump drop. Uh, one thing about wholesale markets is that they do have to drop right away. Uh, I won't bore you with details about why this is, but trust me, you know, if you're Exxon, you've got to cut your Exxon wholesale price for diesel immediately when the spot market does. When I say have to, I'm not saying legally, but you have to stay competitive. Uh, The retail side are owned by, you know, thousands and thousands of individuals or uh, companies, some of them large, some of them a little smaller, and they're going to try to keep these prices as high as possible. But I will say one thing, uh, talk about people who are happy, you know, uh, uh, truck driver is going to be happy paying lower diesel costs. You know who's really happy right now? Convenience store owners. And the reason is because I, I went to a meeting of convenience store owners, mostly convenience store owners in 2008 in the spring. And if you remember, the all-time high price for oil in this country was in July of 2008. 
So, you know, people who didn't understand probably thought, oh, look at this convenience store. They're charging four twenty five for gasoline. They must be making tons of money. Well, they weren't. No, nobody really makes money selling gasoline at the pump, but they make money in the convenience store. Right. So if you're coming into the convenience store with X dollars in your pocket and all of those X dollars are needed to fill your tank, you don't have anything left for the convenience store. <laughs> so um, I guarantee you that right now, this is going to be kind of a strange situation in which the seller of a product that has its product price plummeting is probably going to be the happiest man in town. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> it's true. But uh, anyway, so. Um, but so uh, I got to ask go you. Ahead. Yeah, I got to ask you a question. So, you know, getting into 2020, we were really talking about IMO 2020 and the diesel bunker fuel uh, transition, uh, obviously in the maritime sector with the ships now being required to uh, operate on lower sulfur fuel for, you know, obvious environmental concerns and reasons and whatnot. And it was supposed to like have a dramatic reduction to the inventory of diesel fuel. What what happened to all that? Well, it's a good question. I will tell you that before this collapse in price, there were some analysts who follow this, people that I really respect. I did a story on it for Freightways a few weeks ago who felt that we weren't done, that it was still going to happen. And and the reason is that you if, think of think of what comes out of a refinery as three big buckets. The first bucket are the light ends, and they get used to make things like gasoline. The second bucket are the middle distillates, and they get used to make things like diesel or jet fuel. The third bucket is the heavy ends, and they that was used to make the heavy fuel oil that used to go into ships. You, For the first time really ever, because of an environmental regulation, you were going to have to take molecules out of one bucket and sort of put and displace them in another bucket. And you were, and those molecules would be the diesel, the, the distillate molecules that make diesel, and it was going to have to displace the fuel oil uh, molecules. And, and I just myself and some of these analysts just simply, no matter what was happening, couldn't get around that fact. That was still <laughs> going to happen, no matter what. Well, um, you know, in the fall, the price of diesel relative to crude did shoot up. It's possible that a lot of ships, a lot of inventory of the new compliant fuels that's made from a lot of diesel molecules was laid in and was in inventory. And now, of course, you've got a collapse in the price of oil. You've got Therefore, probably a collapse in a lot of ocean going trade, which means the demand is going to be less. So it's possible that IMO 2020 could not have been uh, rolled out at a better time in that it's being rolled out into a market that's oversupplied, that's in you know big selling mode. There's a price war, a market share war. And it may be that uh, that will, you know, we're going to get past at least these few months. I still you know, I still come back to the fact that these buckets, the molecules are being moved around the buckets and that could cause some long-term dislocation. But the industry certainly has gotten, you know, an extended pass on getting ready for this as a result of the collapse in price. Wow, that's so, fascinating. We were really expecting a big, uh, you know, big push for diesel prices to go up this year. Yeah, and in fact, that's why Freightways hired me and now it didn't happen. So now I'm a little worried. You know, so. Anyway, I I want to thank Zach Strickland, the Sultan of Sonar, for being our guest today on Drilling Deep. It's been a great conversation. I don't think this diesel story is going away. Do you, Zach? No, not at all. <laughs> all right. So join us next week on Drilling Deep again, one of the Freightcast family from Freight Waves. Thank you. Thank you.